0: Texas. How many of you are from Texas? Alright, so you understand what I mean there about being a country. Great country. I appreciate the noble and honorable way that I was introduced by Bob. They had sent me a sample of alternative introductions that they were going to use. And uh, thankfully, they uh, agreed not to use them, and they went with what Bob had shared. But here's what they were going to say. Frank Viola is the best speaker we could get on such short notice. He deserves the accolade of a true prophet. He deserves no honor. He has the gift of discouragement. He's caused more arguments than Jesus and attracted more followers than Judas. (laughs) And the last one is my favorite. We almost went with it. When he's not writing books, he acts as a stunt double for Bruce Willis and Vin Diesel, but don't hold that against him. (sighs) On a serious note, uh, I am honored to be here. If you have a Bible... Please turn to Galatians chapter 1. I will be taking you through various and sundry scriptures this morning. But I want to preface what's on my heart in Galatians first by talking to you a little bit about the deeper Christian life historically. And by the deeper Christian life, I mean a presentation of what the New Testament envisions as being in the New Covenant for God's people. I'm talking about the higher, the deeper, the richer things of Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about that which we find in the letters of Colossians and Ephesians, and Romans. Those are the high mountain peaks of New Testament revelation. And I would describe my ministry as being one of deeper Christian life. I believe it was Andrew Murray who coined the term. He wrote a book entitled The Deeper Christian Life in 1895. And Murray was the pioneer of the deeper Christian life, in South Africa in the UK God raised up a number of vessels chosen vessels to be stewards of the deeper Christian life in years past F.B. Meyer was one of them Alan Redpath uh, a gentleman by the name of Major Ian Thomas and in my humble but accurate opinion T Austin Sparks was the best articulator of the deeper Christian life in the UK in China there was a man by the name of Watchman Nee who was one of the greatest if not the greatest articulators of a deeper Christian life on Chinese soil and in the United States we have a man by the name of A.W. Tozer who passed away in 1963 and of course brother Bob George who I would suspect that most of you are familiar with. So God has raised up a number of various people to present to the body of Christ the deeper, the higher message of Jesus Christ, God's purpose in him, the new covenant, and his revelation of the church as well. There are some women as well. I don't know if you have ever heard of a woman named Mary McDonough. Mary McDonough. Another one named Ruth Paxton. She wrote a book called Life on the Highest Plain. Remarkable book. Uh, she also wrote a book called The Walk, the Warfare, and the Wealth of the Believer on Ephesians. Another woman by the name of Jesse Penn Lewis. But... My point here is this, that with this rich heritage spanning all of these different continents, we are living in a day right now where the message of the deeper Christian life has virtually vanished from the landscape of modern Christianity. Now, I am someone who speaks to a lot of younger people in the Christian world, people who are in their 20s and 30s. And I am really curious, if you are in your 20s or 30s, if you're below the age of 40, would you please raise your hand right now? All right, take a look here. There are conferences today of 5 to 10,000 people, most of whom are Christians in their 20s and 30s. And they spent upwards of $300 to $400 a ticket to get to these conferences. There are best-selling books. I'm an author, so I track this. I never did before, until I started writing. And ignorance is bliss. I wish I hadn't known this. But if you look at the the best-selling books over, say, the last 10 years, uh, many of which are bought by people in the 20s and 30s, and even these conferences that I spoke of that are filled with these young people, the message, in my opinion, is so shallow It is so surface all of these names that I have just mentioned to you these great men and women of God of the past none of these people know who they are very few of them do in fact uh, to try to honor one of those brothers my latest book Jesus of Theography I dedicated it to T Austin Sparks one of these hidden choice vessels and if you've never read Sparks I would encourage you to I think you would really really appreciate his ministry He's no longer with us, of course, but the books that sell, the pastors who are lifted up and celebrated, the speakers at these large conferences. If you look at the message, it is missing so many vital things. There's nothing of the deeper Christian life in these books or these messages. There are few, few exceptions. And we are living, I believe, historically in one of the most shallow, superficial periods of church history. And it grieves me greatly. And what ends up happening is that these young people in their 20s and 30s are all jazzed about the message that they're hearing, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. And then when they hit their 40s and 50s, they burn out. And the message wears out. And they finally get in touch with their spiritual instincts and they say, there's got to be more than this to Jesus Christ, the Christian life, and the church. There must be more. And then they end up in a conference like this one. (laughs) So I would really like to turn the sod on this. And so I have dedicated my life to presenting the Deeper Christian Life message To all Christians, but also trying to target the younger people. And I know that Bob Christopher and Andrew Farley would fit into that as well. And conferences like this exist to present the deeper things of God to God's people. But may the Lord raise up a younger generation that gets in touch with their spiritual instincts now, not 20 years later, and begins on this road toward the deeper things of God. So the message that they're hearing, what is it? What is it that sells right now? What is it that's being preached at these conferences where thousands of young people show up and will pay $400 for a ticket? What are these best-selling books about? Well, essentially, it's one of two things. One, they're on following Jesus. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Following Jesus? We're all about following Jesus, aren't we? But here's the message that's attached to it. Following Jesus means God's holy, you're not. Try harder to be a good Christian. And that's the message. Try better than the best you can do to make God happy. That's the message of following Jesus today that sells really, really well. The other message, right along with it, is discipleship. Big discipleship movement right now. A couple of mega pastors are selling millions of books on discipleship. They're trying to start discipleship movements. And I've read some of those books, saints. And if you peel back the onion of the message in those books, here's what it is. God's holy. You're not. Try harder to be a good Christian and get other people to be good Christians too. And if you pull back the layers of the onion, guess what? You are at the center. You are at the center. What are you not doing for God? What do you need to do better? How can you be a better Christian? How can you make God happy? What does God want to do for you? You are at the center of that message, saints. It is a me-centered gospel. What is missing? Well, there are a few things missing. What's missing is God's eternal purpose, which is by Him, through Him, and to Him. A purpose that is not centered on human needs, but a purpose that is centered on meeting the beating heart of God before humans ever fell. Something for God. Something for His satisfaction. Something that He is seeking to gain for Himself and the arrows bend away from us unto him god's eternal purpose it's rarely preached today yet it is the grand narrative of the entire scripture it is the reason why god created his eternal purpose by him to him through him and for him what else is missing an emphasis and practical handles On knowing Jesus Christ deeply. The emphasis instead is on what you can do for Him, how you can serve Him, instead of to know Him. That I might know Him, Paul said, and the power of His resurrection in the fellowship of his sufferings. To know the Lord. I have spent many hours talking to Christians of all different stripes. And it is very rare to find a Christian who will talk for an hour or more about Jesus Christ. They will talk about many, many other things. And I'm not talking about worldly things, saints. I'm talking about spiritual things, religious things, things, not Him. And for myself, I chased things for many years. First it was evangelism. Evangelism is not a bad thing. It's a good thing, right? But it's a thing. It's an it. You can become obsessed with evangelism and becoming a good evangelist and leave Jesus Christ out in the cold. You can be obsessed with theology. That was another thing I pursued. Correct doctrine. Bible study can become a thing that you chase. Here's a big one. Eschatology. End-time theology. The mark of the beast. Who's the Antichrist? I mean, you can spend hours trying to figure out the paradoxes and mysteries and Revelation and Daniel and charts and graphs and 666 and on and on and miss the Lord Himself. Apologetics. Spiritual gifts, miracles, healing, power, saints. These are all good things, but they're things. You don't need things. You need Him. You need Christ. I need Christ. And Christ is the embodiment of all these things. Another thing that's missing... The revelation, the insight, the unveiling, the truth of an indwelling Christ. That God Himself in Christ by the Spirit lives in us. And this is one of the things that's it's not only missing, but it, it's the cause of so much burnout. With young Christians, when they serve the Lord in their own power and their own strength, they don't know that that's what they're doing until they hit about 30 years old. And then they are fried. And they're burned out. And they're worn out. It's because they've been running on the energy of youthful enthusiasm, not the power of an indwelling Lord. There's a big difference, saints. big difference. I'll tell you something, everything in the Christian life will eventually wear out. I don't care what it is. Bible study will eventually wear out. Praying will eventually wear out. If you pray in tongues, that will eventually wear out. Singing worship songs will eventually wear out. The only thing that will not wear out is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but He is new every morning. He will never wear out. Something else that's missing. What's in it for Him? What does God want to gain for Himself? Instead, it's all about us. And even when it's about meeting human needs, it's still about human needs. And that brings me to what I want to share with you in the next two days. Hopefully you're in Galatians by now. I gave you a lot of time to get there. I want to talk to you about the three key mentions. The three key mentions of the word in, in Galatians. The word in, I am. There are three chief ways that this word is used. And you can actually uh, build the entire letter around these three uses of the word in and in the the message the session this morning I want to talk to you about the first one and then in subsequent messages I'll talk to you about the next two but let's look at all three right now as a way of introduction Galatians 1 verse 15 but when God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. And I just want to draw your attention to verse 16. To reveal His Son in me. And you can circle the word in there. We will come back to that in a minute. The second use of the word in chiefly in Galatians is in Galatians 2.20, and I think you're probably familiar with that since it's written all over the uh, manual for this conference, but we'll read it together. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And you'll want to circle the word in there, in me. Christ lives in me. That's the second in, and we'll look at that tonight. And then finally, Galatians chapter 4. Verse 19, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. And there it is, there's the third in. Christ is formed in you. Circle the word in, and we'll look at that tomorrow. Okay, back to Galatians 1. God was pleased. To reveal his son in me so that I might preach notice the connection between God revealing Christ in Paul and then Paul preaching Christ I have made the statement that good preachers leave people saying Wow what a what a great sermon Great preachers leave people saying, Wow, what a Christ. Wow, what a Lord. A revelation of Jesus Christ. I know the word revelation is spooky to some people, but Paul used it there. But God was pleased to reveal his son in me. What is a revelation? It's an unveiling it's an awakening a spiritual awakening it's an inward seeing and if you're a christian in this room or you're listening to this audio you cannot be a christian without having an initial revelation of jesus christ jesus said who am i who do men say that i am who do you say that i am and peter said you're the christ Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but My Father in Heaven has revealed it to you. If you're a Christian, if you have Christ in you, if you're in Christ, there was a point in time where the Holy Spirit opened your eyes and you got a glimpse. You got a sighting. It was simple. It was initial But your eyes were open, your spiritual eyes, your eyes of your heart to see Him and to know who He is. But saints, that revelation is designed to deepen. And so many Christians have had an initial revelation of Jesus. Usually it's Jesus the Savior. And then they stop pursuing Him. And it never gets any deeper. And this is one of the reasons why the message today via radio Christian magazines, blogs, e pulpits throughout our country is so shallow, is so superficial because it lacks a revelation, a deep revelation of Jesus Christ that wipes everything else off the table and you are stunned by the sight of Him. And it all becomes about Him. And in seeing Him, you fall in love with Him. And in seeing Him, everything else is eclipsed. All idols must bow before the presence of a revelation of Jesus Christ. That breaks your heart. What has stripped the seeming beauty from the idols of the earth? Not the sense of Of right or duty but the sight of peerless worth Hmm. the look that melted Peter the face that Stephen saw the heart that wept with Mary from alone can idols draw and the message that's preached today is be a good Christian try harder stop doing this do this and Paul of Tarsus Never ever guilted God's people into loving Him. Loving the Lord. What did He do? He pulled back the curtain and revealed the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest lover in the universe. The most beautiful being in existence. And saints, if our eyes are open to see Him, He draws everything out. It changes everything. And love naturally flows toward Him. What then is the task of the preacher? It is to have a revelation of Jesus Christ himself or herself and to share that revelation with God's people. And guilt is the greatest motivator on the planet. It is a more effective motivator than money, it is a more effective motivator than sex, fame. Psychologists will tell you this. It is the greatest motivator on the planet. And I put this in a book. Many preachers need a travel agent to handle all the guilt trips they put on God's people. It is an easy tool to pick up. But it doesn't last long. And Jesus Christ has come to deliver us from condemnation. Not put us under it. And there's a big difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and guilt. Well, Frank, how do I get a revelation of Jesus Christ, a deeper one? Well, you owe me $1,000 for the answer. (laughs) And the answer is, I don't have the foggiest idea. I really don't know. But I do know this. But Paul gave us a hint in Ephesians 1 he said and I pray for you he was praying for the Christians in Asia Minor well God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that your eyes the eyes of your heart may be opened to see him So I have a notion that prayer has something to do with it, but a prayer, not a prayer that's cheap and trivial, but a prayer that says, Lord, I want to know you. I want to see you like I never have seen you before. I want to have a deeper revelation of you, a deeper unveiling. For if I see you, I know I will love you more. For if I see you, I know all things that... Are cluttering my life and my thoughts and my heart will bow at the sight of your beauty. Arrange my circumstances, arrange my life. Allow whatever needs to come into my life to make me hungry, to make me poor in spirit, to make me willing and ready and open to see You like I've never seen You before. Lord, give me a revelation of Your Son that I might declare Him, that I might love Him, that I might know Him more than I know Him now. I believe the Lord will honor that prayer. I also believe that there may come a point in time where you will try to retract it. Why is that? Because often the Lord has to put us in a a situation. He often has to bring crisis into our life. To put us in a position where we're ready to receive a revelation of Christ. I have defined a crisis as an unwelcomed opportunity to discover something more of Jesus Christ. An unwelcomed, unwanted opportunity to discover more of your Lord. Saints, I believe that's the best practical advice I can give you. To have a heart-to-heart with your Lord and ask Him to do whatever He has to do to give you a sighting of Christ like you never had before. And I believe He will honor that. And it will probably come in an unexpected way. Sometimes we have to be put in the valley before He can put us on the mountain. There's something else I want to talk to you about regarding a revelation of Christ. And this this is going to be directly said to those of you who have been recipients of and proponents of the Deeper Christian Life message, the New Covenant message, the message of grace, I have observed that those who, by and large, with few exceptions, those who bring this message neglect something. Augustine talked about the totus Christus, what is that? That's Latin for the total Christ. The New Testament is very clear that Jesus Christ is both head and body. The two greatest letters of the New Testament are Ephesians and Colossians. These are the most sublime pieces of literature in the New Testament and Colossians is a revelation of Christ the head but Ephesians is a revelation of Christ the body and you cannot separate the head from the body for the head is Jesus Christ and the body is Jesus Christ he is head and body and you cannot break the two apart and it has been my observation that in deeper Christian life circles What is mostly taught, what is mostly focused on is Christ the head and Christ the body has been neglected. And I would dare say to you, brothers and sisters, that you cannot know the fullness of Jesus Christ as a believer unless you embrace the whole Christ, head and body. You know, when Paul stood before King Agrippa, he talked about the heavenly vision. And that heavenly vision, we read about it in several places in Acts, but in Acts 9, we have the first description of it. We know the story, you know the story. Paul is journeying to Damascus, and a light from heaven shines on him. He falls off his horse, and he hears a voice. In another place it says he sees a vision. He saw the risen Christ. He also heard Him. He saw the head, but he also saw the body. For Jesus said to him, Paul, Paul, at that time it was Saul, Saul, Why are you persecuting the church? Somebody correct me. No, no. Why are you persecuting me? Whoa. Wait a minute. Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Jesus was in heaven, the right hand of the Father. He was persecuting the body of Christ. He was persecuting God's people. Paul of Tarsus was persecuting the members of Christ. And Jesus Christ took it personally because you cannot separate the head from the body, and you cannot separate the body from the head. Paul got the heavenly vision, and it was Christ the head, Christ the body. That's the mystery of God. You see it in Ephesians and Colossians. The mystery of God is Christ in you, and it is also the one body which was hidden God before time began head and body body and head saints okay Frank that sounds good I got it Christ is the head and the body amen praise the Lord Ephesians and Colossians we got it this gets real practical the New Testament that we all read and love where God is speaking to us through And I believe God speaks to us through His Word. The New Testament, by and large, was not written to you. And it wasn't written to me. The New Testament, most of it, was not written to an individual. Yet we read it as an individual. You read it in your room, you and God, me and the Lord, but it wasn't written to you. Saints, every letter of Paul of Tarsus, which makes up most of the New Testament, with the exception of Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, was written to a body of believers, a face-to-face community that had a shared life together. And the "u"s in those letters, Y-O-U, you, should be translated y'all. You know, in, in the Greek, this bears it out, in the Greek, Colossians one twenty-seven, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the you there is plural, Christ in y'all. That should be translated that way. Y'all say that in Texas, we say that in Florida. Y'all? All right. So when I'm reading the New Testament and I say you, I'm conditioned to read that as, that's me, Frank Viola. It has an application, yes, but that really is addressed to a body of believers. And so many things in the New Testament, brothers and sisters, do not work when we try to apply it to us as individuals. They only work when we are in a face-to-face community with other believers who are pursuing Jesus Christ together see the fullness of Christ is not given to any of us as an individual we're but members you know some of us are fingers some of us are hands some of us are toes some of us are legs some of us are ankles it takes the body fitted together To experience, know, and express the fullness of Christ. To encounter the fullness of Christ. Well, Frank, what are you you saying? You're saying that that I I can't read the New Testament by myself and get something out of it? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you will never know the fullness of it until you embrace Christ the body as well as the head practically. You know uh, Romans 12. Verse 1, I beseech you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies, plural, as one living sacrifice. That is a word to a body of believers to present themselves together as one living sacrifice. But we don't read it that way. We read it. We're conditioned. It's me and Jesus. Jesus. And the New Testament, saints, is not written to you as an individual. It's written to a body of believers. It's not me and Jesus. It's us and we. Not me and I, but us and we. It's very corporate. The New Testament knows nothing of an individualistic Christian. It didn't exist in the first century. In every city, whether it's Thessalonica, the cities in Galatia, Philippi, Jerusalem. They were a tight-knit group that saw themselves as kin to one another. That's why they called themselves brother and sister. The dominating metaphor in the New Testament is not body, it's not house, it's not bride, it's family. And they laid their lives down for one another. They married each other, they buried one another. They were so tight together... Probably the best example we can think of, it's not a good one, but it comes close, is that of a gang. You know, gang members, man, they, they have one another's backs. And they're in it together for the long haul. I mean, they'll put tattoos on each other they're—they're they're for the rest of their life, and they're one. They'll stand with each other. Okay, it's a perverted example because what those people are really looking for, they've gotten in touch with something deep in them, That really craves the experience of the body of Christ. But instead, they're meeting that need another way. And today, what we have is we have church. Okay, most of us probably are members of a church. But for many of us, not all, it's two hours on Sunday morning. Maybe an hour on Wednesday night. Maybe an hour again on Sunday night. But saints... These letters that you read in the New Testament, and not only by Paul, but James and John and Peter, they were written to communities of people, face-to-face communities, shared life communities. They had life together. And that's where the fullness of Christ is. You know, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. Well, that's the single eye. That's the single ear. That's the single heart. But then he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who? An individual? No. We, plural, have the mind of Christ. I don't have the mind of Christ as an individual, but when I'm connected to my brothers and sisters, I have access to the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the spiritual gifts. You know, if you're Pentecostal, that's your favorite chapter. Or the charismatic, right? The gifts of the Spirit. Yes. Well, he starts out by saying, you used to worship dumb idols, mute idols. They don't have the power of speech. But then he turns around and says, if any man, if any woman is operating by the spirit of God, they cannot say Jesus is accursed. And then he goes on to talk about how we're all members of one body. And Jesus Christ has the power of speech. He's not a dumb idol. He's not a mute idol. He has the power of speech. Where does He speak? Through His body. Through His every member functioning body. And that's where his mind is known, and that's where his fullness is experienced. Saints, the deeper Christian life message, the message of grace, the message of the new covenant, is all wonderful, and it's true, but it's not for you as an individual Christian living a solo Christian life by yourself. It is to be experienced with other believers. Two amens on that. You are not meant to live an individual Christian life. Well, Frank, I go to church on Sunday morning. Great! But I'm talking about where you're receiving input from brothers and sisters. Sermons are wonderful. Listening to people speak is wonderful. But it's not enough, saints. Fellowship means I receive the Christ that is in you and learn what he has given you and you receive the Christ that is in me and learn what he has given me. It's a two-way, interactive, participatory thing. And without it, saints, we're like an individual out in a big ocean in our canoe and we're just paddling alone by ourselves. It was not meant to be that way. And it doesn't really work outside of community. It was never meant to be. You know, Paul says, and I'll close with this, does not nature teach you? You take any species on the planet in the animal kingdom, God has created a habitat by which that species is to live, move, live, and have its being. Polar bears must live in their native habitat, which is the Arctic, for them to survive and reproduce if you take a polar bear and remove it from its natural habitat you take it out of the arctic it's either going to die or if you can sustain it it cannot reproduce you take a saltwater fish out of its native habitat which is salt water it will die virtually every animal group many of them they're corporate creatures you know fish swim in schools Lions have prides. Sheep have folds. Look at the way the bees operate. They're social creatures. Does not nature teach you? You, as a Christian, are a new species on this planet. What do you mean? You're a new creation. You know, the early Christians called themselves the third race. This is in second century literature. Christians wrote of themselves as the third race. There was the Jew. There was the Gentile. And then there was the ecclesia, And you can find this in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says, the Jew, the Gentile, and the ecclesia of God. You're a new creation. You're a new species. And every species has a habitat that matches it. What is our habitat? It is the experience of the body of Christ. It is the experience of ecclesia." Well, Frank, I can't find that where I live. I try to talk about the Lord with people and talk about Christ in me and pursuing Him and and they want to talk about all kinds of other things. I cannot find this. I'm in the wilderness. And every Israelite had to go through the wilderness for a time when they left Egypt. God eventually brought them into the promised land. God also wanted them to go into the promised land a lot earlier. But because of their unbelief, they stayed in the wilderness. And some of them died out there. Their bones bleached in the wilderness. Let me tell you something. If you want to get out of the wilderness, God will eventually make a way. It may cost you something, though. You may find two or three other Christians in your city that love Jesus Christ like you do. And the Lord will make a way for you to connect with them And have fellowship with them. They might not even attend the same local congregation, church, that you do. But saints, if you can find two or three Christians. I know the ideal is a community of believers that you can have a shared life with. But you know, we're living in a day where that's rare. Very rare. I'm talking about a shared life now. I'm not talking about church on Sunday morning for two hours. I mean a shared life. Where you're sharing Christ and they're sharing Christ with you. Every joint supplies, Ephesians, you're supplying to them, they're supplying to you. That's hard to find. But if you can find two or three other believers, and I believe if you really cry out to the Lord and ask you to bring that into your life, and you're open to it, He will do that. If you can find two or three believers, if you have more, great. Who you can fellowship with, share the Lord with, participate with, then you have found something precious. You have found something that many Christians don't have in their life. But saints, remember, this deeper Christian life message is true, but it is not to the individual. It works in community. We are part of a body. And in every city and every town, there are other Christians God wants us to be built together with. They're around. You may find some in this conference. In fact, that would be an assignment I would give you. Find out where you all live. Maybe some of you are within driving distance. And now you have a common bond in Christ and you can find rich fellowship. I tell you what, that will take you a lot further than you just trying to be a good Christian on your own, trying to experience the deeper Christian life on your own. It was never meant to be that way. So that is my word to you. A revelation of Jesus Christ is a revelation of head and body made practical. And it is there that we find the fullness of Christ. Last passage, Ephesians chapter 3. You can read it on your own. It's around verse 17 or so. Paul talks about comprehending the height, the depth, the width of the love of Christ. And then he puts this in. With all saints. With all saints. Not you as an individual in your room. You'll never experience the fullness that way. It's with all saints. Praise the Lord. All right. That's part one. We'll look at Galatians 2 in part two. Thank you very much. And we'll have Bob come up. Another day, another dollar, another wall, another tower. And up where the home is their home.